Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about me, Danny Moran. I'm a put-upon office drone whose life is going nowhere. My overweight boss bullies me all day, and my girlfriend is cheating on me with my obnoxious best friend. However, my life is turned upside down when a sexy assassin called Sam Foster inducts me into an elite vigilante group. Turns out my dad was a master assassin with superpowers, and he's passed on these skills to me. These superpowers take the form of me being able to bend bullets in midair, and little else. I set to work assassinating some deadly villains from all over the globe, chosen by a giant loom called the Loom of Fate is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2008 classic film, Wanted. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a mysterious woman who is as deadly as she is beautiful, <laughs> Sam Foster. Hello. Um, so, Danny and I were both born in 1990, and we've often wondered what life was like in previous decades. That's why this week, Danny went to see Everybody Wants Some, a film that teaches us that growing up in the 1980s was all about chilling with your bros, chasing girls, and using lots of exclamation marks. It's also why we both went to see X-Men Apocalypse, which teaches us that growing up in the 1980s was all about trying to stop an old purple goblin from destroying the world. The resulting picture is confusing. We also discussed the return to our screens of an old cowboy legend doing a fun new job, and Lionsgate's hopes for turning the Power Rangers into a movie franchise so long it will consume the span of all of our natural lives. All that should leave just enough time for me to pitch my own movie about growing up in the 90s. Something about trying to stop an old purple goblin from stealing all the exclamation marks. It probably needs work. I don't remember my childhood that well. I'll be thinking about that during the breaks. Regular correspondent Dougal got in touch to send us a story from The Guardian all about Gillian Anderson saying she'd be up for playing Bond. Somebody had photoshopped her into a sort of Skyfall poster and she was like, sure, why not? And everyone's like, oh my God, this would be the best thing ever. 
including other correspondent Chris, who says, This would be amazing. Also, could they change the writers? Seriously, they need to change the writers. Couldn't agree more, Chris. The I agree. Are shit. Yeah, the problem is that with the current writers, no matter who becomes Bond, the danger is that they will just be dragged down to the writer's level. That's true. Um, I don't think we're going to have a female Bond anytime soon, right? Too progressive. I don't... It, like, they haven't got a female Doctor Who, and that's a character who just literally transforms as part of the story. Yeah. So the chances of them doing a female Bond is definitely not... You know, not in this um, decade, I would say. But why not Gillian Anderson? Why not? I mean, she looks pretty cool. I can imagine her. She's sort of um, got a nice cold glare. In that TV show, The Fall, doesn't she have like a lot of sex and like drinks and stuff? That's true, yeah. She's got she like, does. problems. Yeah, I watched it. I haven't watched all of The Fall, but I've seen a little bit of it. There's a bit when her boss confronts her about having sex with someone and she's like, uh, headline, man fucks woman, that's okay. Headline: Woman fucks man. Oh, well, that's huge news! Sounds, or something. Else. <laughs> sounds like incredible dialogue. I'm really. I'm just paraphrasing it. That's slightly unsubtle message to the show. Then, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's the point at which I was like, I think they're really trying to make a point with this. She sleeps yeah, around yeah. thing. I'm a progressive writer of a TV show. My woman has sex. I don't yeah. know. I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, no, she's really good now. I feel like she's sort of you know transcending what she had to do a little bit. She's quite pouty, and also Daniel Craig is very pouty, isn't he? Yeah, and they're pretty, um, well, what's the word, uh, not very imaginative in who they cast. Like, they watch Lair Cake, and he's like, he's kind of Bond in that, so they cast Daniel Craig. Yeah. Maybe they watch The Fool, and they're like, she's kind of Bondish. Yeah. In the same way Tom Hiddleston just played a spy, so like, yeah, why not him? Exactly, yeah. No need for, for a game to audition. We can see he can do all the stuff we need him to do. When, well, people, I think you said in your review of Bastille Day that it was kind of like a, um... Bond audition. Bond audition, and people also said that about Hiddleston in The Night Manager, and I wonder if actors are literally consciously like, find me a spy role agent, I want to be Bond! People yeah. have to see how cool I look. Yeah. Well, um, I'm all for it. Anyway, of the three of them, I say make it Jillian, because yeah. they seem to be sticking with their unbelievably shit writers. Um, so that's the most fresh way to go, so at least it will be like kind of cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, sir. Georgia Mills, dear friend of Film Chat, writes in. Dear Film Chat, after smuggling a bottle of beer or two into 12 Years a Slave, fellow Film Chat listener Tom Garud and I realised not every movie goes well with heavy drinking. This got me wondering, what are the best movies to drink to, and can you suggest some good beverage film pairings? I'm happy to do some field testing if it's needed. Best, Georgia. I think this is an interesting question, because... Not even necessarily drinking, but there's something to be said for how you approach a film. And I feel like there's certain films, if you watch it, the, the day you watch it on will depend if you like it or not. Maybe not to a huge degree. Yeah. But for, for example, like if you saw a movie like Mr. Turner on a Friday night, I think you'd enjoy it less than if you saw it on like a Sunday matinee. And similarly, like uh, I watched when I saw The Witch with Georgia, we had like a beer before. And I think that really got me, you know, I was kind of sort of relaxed, I kind of eased into this movie, and then it kind of worked on me a bit more because I wasn't, I yeah. don't know, I was a bit... Well, it's the, the enchantment settled on your dulled brain a bit more easily. <laughs> yeah, a little we, bit. weakened well, your defences. When you see a movie, you get like half an hour of like super fast editing trailers and, you know, explosions and loud music, and it's not really, you're not really in the right frame of mind to see a film by that yeah. point. Yeah, uh, the Coen brothers, who were always chatting shit about their own films, but still think there's something to it, said a similar thing when they're talking about Serious Man, which yeah. starts with this prologue short film, and they're saying that uh, 
similar thing about you going to a movie theater and um, all this stuff is thrown at you and adverts and they really wanted you to settle into the right frame of mind for their movie so it's like an eight minute palate like, cleanser yeah exactly and yeah that puts you where you need to be uh, which of, I like that idea a lot I mean it's always good to drink and watch bad movies it's yeah. one of my favorite pastimes I think that we can agree right that a bad movie is the best thing to drink in because if it's a good movie you really want to be concentrating and if it's a bad film you almost want to be distracting yourself um, yeah. or like any movie that's supposed to work on a sort of like a horror film in a sort of physical way I think mm-hmm. if you're, like, you're a little bit drunk or and you're just, just like you'll buy it a bit more like something a bit trashy yeah or well I guess it's jumpy it's the same kind of idea as um, taking drugs and then going to watch 2001 or something <laughs> yeah yeah enhancing the trippiness in terms um, of alcohol pairings have a uh, old fashioned and watch um, I'm gonna finish made, in made in Dagenham made in because they're all set in the yeah. past. They're all really old-fashioned. Have a Manhattan. It? Watch Manhattan. Yeah. I don't know. There's some movies that are very associated Have with certain drinks. Watch Cosmopolis. I was thought you were going to say Sex in the City, but um, <laughs> yeah, Cosmopolis. That's more like the pun route. White Russians are very associated with the Big Lebowski. Um, what's that? Uh, he's always drinking screwdrivers in Jackie Brown, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, Samuel Jackson's character. One thing that I saw, this isn't a movie, but I thought it was quite a fun drinking game anyway. It was um, someone who was doing this on Twitter when they started watching Daredevil Season 2 and they were drinking every time someone said Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like 12 times in the first episode. It's like every few minutes someone else says Hell's Kitchen. It's quite... She was like live tweeting. It's like, they said it again! I don't believe it! Uh, which is quite funny. So that's an option. If you've got, you know, 13 hours to spare and a lot of fucking booze in your house... <laughs> You could play that with Daredevil Season 2. Yeah. When I was lived in New York, Danny... Yes. Um, ...which I like to mention a lot, uh, I lived next to a cinema called The Nighthawk, and they do this thing where whatever movie they have showing, they have, like, a special menu to go with it, and they have a special cocktail and, like, food, and it's all themed around the movie. So um, when I saw Silver Linings Playbook, I saw that I saw Django Unchained there, and in both cases they had, like, a special... Django cocktail or oh right I was gonna say I can't remember what I can't actually remember well, what was in them white cake right white cake or something we're serving white cake oh yeah I don't know there's what always that is. food in Tarantino movies yeah and then like there's a bit where, like when he smashes his hand and he's like reveals them and it's like we'll be serving this cake or something yeah this the um attendez la creme moment in Inglorious Bastards is quite memorable yeah or the fast food like, yeah Tarantino's always got food he's always got food yeah Pulp Fiction obviously I don't know if they ever show Pulp Fiction and the Nighthawk and everyone gets a big kahuna burger towards it <laughs> um, awesome. but those but they you know they, they make a whole business out of their uh, beverage film pairings and they, and they also did like special screenings of like um, classic movies where there would be a whole feast and it would cost like $80 and you go to see The Godfather and it's like a tasting menu like plus a movie so you it was like the godfather and every 10 minutes they'd bring you more food and it would be like somehow themed to each moment in the movie like they bring you fish you know to eat <laughs> when like... fredo uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah um and uh that's pretty awesome maybe there's a business plan here where you have a cinema and you rent terrible films which no one wants to see so the film will be cheap but then the money you save you put into buying alcohol that's such so, an awesome idea so the films are shit but the booze is cheap yeah, and they're also they're all movies that you'd want to come and get trashed and watch. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, the Prince Charles they sort of do because they do like beer and pizza night. Yeah, and they show like kind the of dumb films. Stuff. Yeah, um, but I like the idea of really going the whole hog and just like 
you just order you know shots through the movie or yeah. whatever and like or you have like the drinking game to go along with the film that you're watching absolutely that'd be awesome think of what a money spin it would be for that cinema as well sorry right, probably guys. answers your idea sorry idea guys this question. is the last episode of film chat because danny and i are going to be <laughs> setting up this um getting wasted cinema thing it's gonna be pretty good it's gonna be sick superhero films announced casting rumors leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print So, you ready to hear some news, sunny old Jim Bob? Yes, catch me up on some news So, old men old action stars reprising their roles they did 30 or 40 years ago is a big business these days. It's a real Paris, trend. Yeah. Harrison Ford is really up in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And a uh, slightly more unconventional name to this list is they're going to do a new Django movie. Now, Django is probably best known as Django Unchained now, but that movie was a... Uh, homage? A, a homage. A there was a movie in the 60s called Django, directed by Sergio Cabucci, which was like a spaghetti western. And it, the theme tune from Django Unchained is the same theme tune. It's about a guy who walks into a town and uh, kills everybody. It's a standard Western movie. But it's a cult classic. And the guy who played him, Franco Nero, who cameoed in Django Unchained, is the guy in the bar, the yeah. Italian guy, who He's the guy the Mandingo fight. Jamie Foxx says the D is silent. He says it to him, right? Yeah, and it's sort of, you know, shaking hands with the older incarnation way. Yeah. So the original was in 66, uh, and then... 21 years later in 987 they did another one called Django Strikes Again and there's many Django movies I think Django and Chain Tarantino said ranks as like a sort of proud member of the Django ripoff films yeah he's such right. a popular character but you know maybe because because of uh, Tarantino's movie they're going to make a third in the Django trilogy set 50 years after the original and shot 50 years after the original with Franco Nero reprising the role yeah which is pretty exciting stuff it's an awesome idea and adding to the excitement is writer actor director renaissance man John Sayles who I've not seen any of his movies but he's quite well regarded he did the movie Lone Star in the 90s which is considered to be an excellent western and was a big star making turn by young Matthew McConaughey he is going to direct it and the plot is apparently going to be set 50 years after the original, and it will be based uh, with Django working as a horse handler and extra on the set of D.W. Griffith's Birth of a Nation. Yeah, uh, I love which, I love that idea. I think that's, like, a great idea. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I don't know. Well, um, I think the idea of um, making a movie about the making of Birth of a Nation set amongst a crew, <laughs> like, that's an intrinsically fascinating idea, I think. There's something really interesting about the way that birth of a nation is this epic and is a uh, sort of foundational text of modern cinema and is also like massively unapologetically racist um with the ku klux kind of heroes and stuff and that's obviously there's something so rich about the um ground for drama there yeah and then you put in this old cowboy hero man throw him in there as well it's like well the central um interesting sort of premise the sort of poster of Django is that he's dragging this coffin around that's how the movie starts he drags in this town and like what's in the coffin and then an hour in turns out there's a machine gun in there oh okay I thought it was going to be like pies or something no and uh he proceeds to kill a shit ton of people so he's going to kill WD Griffiths and all the racists what is he like the coffin maker for the set or something no he's a horse handler oh yeah you just said yeah so what's in the horse (laughs) he's got a machine gun in there but yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I mean, it won't be Sergio Cabucci, but 
Well, it's kind of cool as that it's a uh, guy who, um, I guess, like Franco Nero is best known for his earlier work and is returning to what he's known for, like which is westerns. Yeah, Franco um, Nero is a cool guy. He's still kind of handsome in the way that men unfairly get sometimes more distinguished of age. Well, some don't, you know. I would say that Tarantino is not getting better looking as he gets older. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that guy's <laughs> never gorgeous. never been more fuckable in his life. I mean, um, his cameo in Django Unchained. Yeah. When he had the Australian accent. When he was doing the Australian accent. I had a semi. Do you think that he recognised that he was such a bad actor that he had to explode himself? <laughs> I wrote that character had much, yeah. many more scenes. That character <laughs> went straight through to the end and he was looking at the rushes and he was like, actually, come to think of it, put an explosion over me and I just won't appear again. <laughs> this Australian accent is not as convincing as I thought it was at the time. I love how we do that. If he did that in all his films. <laughs> yeah. Like in Bob Fish and Jimmy just explodes. <laughs> wow, Jimmy exploded. <laughs> what, just spraying blood? They've got to clean that up as well. Before Bonnie gets home. <laughs> She's going to divorce this blood splatter. I don't know. This is doesn't make any sense. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm psyched. But yeah, I think that that's a real confluence of fascinating ingredients. And I hope a good film comes out of them. Yes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. An even more potentially exciting film is coming up. It's the Power Rangers movie. Did you watch Power Rangers as a child? Did I? I did. I did as well. I remember they sort of rebooted it like every season. It would be like Power Rangers and it would be like Power Rangers Warriors of Time and then Power Rangers Dino. Whatever kids were into, they sort of tack it on, you know? Yeah. And that would be whatever the I season don't, on. My memories of it are pretty faint, except for uh, I watched it all the time. I was really into it. I got the toys and stuff. Yeah. I remember there was a kind of Monster of the Week format and they had the monster, it was all like Magic Wand made my monster grow. Yeah. And that they kind of had robots that they rode around in, right? And then, like, yeah. all the robots combined into one giant robot that they would yeah. sometimes need to really pull out. But they were also at high school. Yeah. So they're doing a new version for the movies, and they released a picture of it recently with the cast and their full new exciting power armor, which caused a bit of a stir because of a feature of the ladies' costumes, which is boob armor. That's a bit of a trope in um, fantasy art design for women. Yeah. Uh, in that... Big metal boobies. Big metal boobies. Even better than the real ones. You gotta cover up those boobies. Don't want those boobies getting hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is that if you're redesigning an armor for a woman, it wouldn't really be that different to armor for a man. It would just no. be, you know, a That'd plate a more of the protection yeah. that would kind of go over your front. Absolutely. You know? um, but usually fantasy... And science fiction artists who tend to be men who are drawing their um, ladies want to enhance their femininity and make them as wankable as possible <laughs> and um, tend to give these like slightly absurd boob things. It's like the female equivalent of the nipples on the bat suit. Yeah. And they've gone for that in the Power Rangers thing. And I, I yeah, I guess it's one of those things where you're always hoping you get to the point in public culture where you don't have boob armor anymore. Mm. Um, it would be like if Brienne in Game of Thrones had like giant metal boobies <laughs> on the front of her arm. It'd be like. 
it'd obviously be totally um, redonkulous. Anyway, so that's the last thing that I heard about Power Rangers. And then just today, as I was uh, browsing the internet before doing film chat, I noticed an exciting new piece of news. Comes straight out of the Lionsgate CEO's call with some business analysts, which is where a lot of the best movie news comes from. Uh, He's a guy called John Feltheimer. He said, we are really, really excited about the Power Rangers movie. We could see doing five or six or seven. And he cited the positive reaction to the costumes as evidence of audience interest. I guess the reaction was positive. I looked at it and was like, this looks bad, but I'm not your average man on the street. So seven movies would be a lot, I would say. Yes. Like um, Avatar recently announced four sequels, uh, which would bring it up to five in total. Jesus. Which seems a bit <laughs> overwhelming, but I'd say seven Power Rangers movies, and they haven't even made one that made $2 billion mm. um, before you know thinking about the seven sequels. There's something kind of insane about the way CEOs are thinking now. It's like not even like one more movie. It's like seven. <laughs> I can see this doing seven movies. People like the costumes for this one film, so I think seven of them. It's, it's like, the, it's totally bonkers, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I understand that they want to create a whole universe out of every film now, but, like, you know, if a movie's a bomb, it's a bomb. It's not going to be great just because you have, like, seven more films planned, you know? I don't yeah. understand. It's like calling your movie Warcraft The Beginning. It's really asking for trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's another one. You're going to be good? It could be good, you know? That's, it's such a sort of vague premise. People fight monster that... There's an opportunity for some interesting stuff. Yeah, I think it's very... I don't know. I can imagine it being quite hard to make not for kids. I mean, just, like, purely for kids. In a way that superhero movies, like, superheroes are kind of for kids, but, you know, a lot of adults enjoy them. But there's something very silly about the Power Rangers setup that... I think it's the word Rangers. (laughs) The name, certainly. They're all kind of colour-coded, and the women are, like, pink and yellow and... Yeah, women love pink and yellow. It's women love pink and yellow. Cars. The villain's called Rita Repulsa. I think it's a bit more like um, some like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but maybe with less self-knowing humour. Well, Elizabeth Banks has humor. been cast as... Um, yeah, she's also got a very sexy costume. And I use sexy in inverted commas and not in inverted commas because Elizabeth Banks is beautiful. <laughs> uh, no. Why would you put that sexy woman for them? And in uninverted commas, like... Just the, just put two normal commas around the word <laughs> sexy. <laughs> um, well, I can imagine her being maybe she's the sort yeah, of you know. It's just quite we revealing. Gotta anyway. the, we got to get the uh, sort of comedy actress to inject some life into this role. Maybe, sort of but I don't think you, your character is called Repulsa. I don't think you should be making them beautiful. You know, hmm. shouldn't they be repulsive? Maybe on her planet. Like, it's bizarre world, and, like, ugly people are beautiful, and beautiful people, people are ugly. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I am repulsive! And then everyone on Earth is like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you are beautiful. Yeah. She's cast out of her world for being too ugly, and she's like, I will destroy whatever world I land on, and be the only person, then I cannot be ugly. Well, could, could Jelly make things grow? Is that, like, a one thing? Yeah, well, just like plants, soufflés, and monsters. Yeah, just make yeah. things bigger. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember this story well enough. 
Make my monster grow. Make my monster grow. I always like that as the sort of formula of like they just defeat it normally. It's like, well, ha ha ha, just make it super big. And it's like, don't worry, we can do the same thing. Is that what would happen? I thought it was like she would make a miniature one that would never hurt anyone, and then she'd have to like (laughs) enlarge it to normal size. No, no, in order to be threatening. No, what? (laughs) No, it would be like a sort of pour water on. (laughs) I thought it was like a, you know, it would be like one inch high because she didn't have to put as much effort into it. No. Okay. <laughs> it was just, it was just like a regular man in a suit, and then and then she, she made it giant, and, and that's when they needed to get into yeah. The and then it'll be like a terrible city miniature set, and they just fight on it. Okay, I don't remember this show very well. <laughs> in the villain was was like one inch high for most of the episode, <laughs> and then right at the end, she makes it into like normal size. <laughs> not for not for the whole episode. <laughs> just that it, basically, she's got a monster creating factory, and the way that it works is she makes a little model of it, and then you know, embiggens it with her wand until it can be threatening. Yeah, that's how I thought her monster world worked, but obviously not. She could cure world hunger really with that skill, right? Just what? Like... Just one grain of rice, but oh, it's huge! Everyone tuck in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you... how are you going to boil that? <laughs> <laughs> well, she have to enlarge in a pot, so you can be very useful. Um, anyway, we're getting a bit off base. Anyway, looking forward to that one. Yeah, I'm not at all, but, you know, I'm certainly curious to hear about more news from it. Looking forward to the trailer, definitely. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask punchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, everybody wants some, by which I mean everybody wants some of my opinions on this movie. This is Richard Linklater's follow-up to Boyhood, and it feels very much like the kind of personal movie you can only make if you've had just had a huge hit, in that it is a period film featuring no famous actors whatsoever, and it feels like a bit of a sort of uh, personal passion project. So the plot is, in Texas in 1980, a college freshman called Jake moves into this frat house he'll be sharing with the other members of the university baseball team. Uh, Jake is a pitcher and has got a place on the university poly on a baseball scholarship, and the film is set over the three days prior to the start of term, and it's about Jake bonding with this group of men as they drink, party, engage in petty games, and try and get laid. And that is all you need to know. Awesome! And here's a clip of the guys getting ready to go out, and one of the older members of the team giving the freshmen advice about the use of cologne. What are you doing? Putting it on. First time wearing cologne? No. Get it on there, man. Get it under your arms and on your chest. Just put it on your neck. Come on. I don't know, man. Too much of this smells like cat piss. Oh, shit. Trying to help you out and you're going to question me? Jesus. I'm telling you, man. Chicks dig this shit. All right? You can come back here and do the five-knuckle shuffle all night if you want to. I don't really care. What's the five-knuckle shuffle? Jesus, freshman. Figure it out, man. Hey, good one, McReynolds. You're so fucking desperate, dude. Desperate for pussy? Good clip. Um, a couple of Film Chats bro listeners went to see Everybody Wants Some and gave us their thoughts very kindly. So Jake Hoskins writes in to say, Me and Molly saw it last Friday and both thoroughly enjoyed it. Quite throwaway, but really funny and charming. A brilliant soundtrack that did a superb job and melded together the 70s and 80s. Some fantastic costumes and great and very real-seeming performances and characters. I don't know about you guys, but I absolutely love watching films where the actors are for the most part unknown, at least to me. It really helps to see them as the characters they are portraying rather than being like, oh, Matt Damon is playing so-and-so. 
I think it also really showed how any genre of movie can be great if it's in the right hands, even a frat slash jock comedy. It was so great to see this one with genuine character studies and humor ju- than just jumping from one lame gross out scene to the next. Anyway, two thumbs up from the J Dog. So well done, Link Later. Interested to hear what you guys thought. And Mick Campbell, who wrote in to say, Ahoy hoy, film chat! I went to see Everybody Wants Some the other day and thought it was excellent, really good film. I did think, though, that it suffered from the same problem, although I know a lot of people don't actually view this as a problem, as other Link Later films, the lack of a strong driving story. I've said this to people in the past, and they tell me that's the point, and his films are just slices of life or what have you, but I do always walk away feeling like there's something missing. Maybe I'm just too much of a sucker for a good old-fashioned story. Nevertheless, really love the film. What do the film chatters think? Excellent comments. I will address these in the course of my review. Please do. So... I think the film can be best described and has been done so in its marketing as a sort of spiritual sequel to Days and Confused, which is Richard Linklater's possibly his best movie. This is amazing coming of age film set in the 70s. And this is both more focused than that film and more sprawling. And then it focuses in on these like one character, main character and his friends. But it also uh, is quite aimless, deliberately so, but sometimes to its detriment. And I liked it. For the most part, I was like, I laughed kind of consistently all the way through and it was quite charming, but it didn't really, hasn't really stuck with me. And I think if you're more familiar with Richard Linnett's films, that's almost like a bad thing because it feels a bit of a greatest hits package in a way. And often you just sort of reminded of scenes which he's done better in different movies. For example, he has this gift for sort of natural dialogue and uh, cool laid-back artistic guy hanging out with cool laid-back artistic woman but he's now done that so many times it's almost a trope and the yeah. thing that was like authentic about it in his previous films it now feels a bit like Linklater's wheeling out his old cool people hanging out scene in a yeah, way yeah. which um is a little over familiar so it's focused on these jocks and the sort of weirdly specific time in their lives where it's not normal for a group of hyper competitive men to be living in a house together and I think the best thing about this film is that that is not annoying. And he's very affectionate and funny about the characters. He's quite gentle towards his characters. That's like a Linklater trait, I think. But in less assured hands, this could be very annoying. And it's a very specific tone the film has to strike, where it's a sort of celebration of these characters without championing them or sort of endorsing all their behavior, because some of it's just kind of moronic. And with the exception of a couple of eye-rolling moments, it just about gets away with it, I would say. Yeah, that's yeah, that's certainly... Impressive because the idea of hanging out with these total <laughs> bros for like a couple of hours does seem a bit irritating. Yeah, and part of why it works is that Linklater's directorial style leaves a lot of space for the audience. He's not like um, particularly flashy. He's like the master of the sort of hangout movie, chilling out with your chums vibe kind of film. That like invites is, you in a bit. Absolutely, and this is true of this film. And there's nothing ostentatious about the camera movement. It's kind of like genius in its simplicity. You know, you don't really notice it which maybe is what good directing is, or can be. And he's also, this is true of all his films, but particularly this one, is that he lets the actors do the heavy lifting. Like, his films are very performance-driven, and, you know, there are some films where you can sort of mute the uh, screen and sort of tell what's going on, just by the camera movements or whatever. But in this one, you have to, you know, the actors lead it. And Jake's point's a really good one, in that you completely buy these guys. I think only Wyatt Russell, if you've seen 22 Jump Street, he's the only familiar face. But you kind of buy them all as these idiot jocks. And it's impressive in a large, sprawling cast that everyone kind of like makes their mark. 
sometimes just because they're physically distinctive. I think he's definitely hired a few people <laughs> with just like interesting facial hair. Yeah, or yeah. Just so you remember them. Because there's like 20 guys. I think that's an important decision to make. Yeah. But I do think it's too long and it feels a bit repetitive. And this is almost you're taking issue with the film the basic premise of the film of like, hey, this scene doesn't seem, you know, particularly necessary. Like, no, the film is particularly necessary. It's very sort of light and throwaway. But it's a bit like he has compiled all his memories of his college years and kind of stuck it into this three-day structure just to give it a bit of um, narrative. But for me, the sort of hazing bro thing reached a point of diminishing returns quite early on. And there's a lot of things later on. There's like a whole baseball sequence, which ends in like a hazing ritual, which is, it kind of did that, did that in Days and Confused, and it was much better. Right, yeah. And there's also, I mean, there's been like a bit of backlash about like, is the, is it a celebration of bro culture in the sort of toxic way or like, and there's like no, hardly any female characters in it. There's only like one named female character, deliberately so. But I don't think she's as well written enough like, if she'd been much well better written, if she had been much better written, like the sentence <laughs> I'm saying now, the film would be a lot better because there's at times it's like, is the film from the perspective of the characters or is it looking at the characters? And yeah. at times you feel like they're aligning in a way which is a bit, not uneasy, but you wish there was, took a bit more of a distance from the character. Does yeah. Sense? No, no, that definitely does make sense. Because it's such a sort of little insular world. When you meet this female character, you want to get the sense that she's got like a whole other movie. And, like, it should, you know, there could be a whole other film about her character. But it's a bit more like she's just part of his world. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah. So, I would say it's worth watching. It's very funny. But it feels a bit, what's the word? Unnecessary. Not unnecessary, but, like, not essential. It's like a sort of Linklater victory lap, I think. Yeah. He's made Boyhood and he's like, I want to make, I want to go relive my college years. And the studio will give me the money to do it. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Okay, elsewhere in the 80s, some X-Men stuff is happening. So we want to see X-Men Apocalypse this week. It's the third of the sort of X-Men prequel series, which also seems to be desperately trying to stay in the same continuity as every other X-Men film. And um, this time around, they've jumped forwards 10 years or so from the events of Days of Future Past. Uh, we're in the 80s now. And um, in Egypt, a ancient... 8,000-year-old mutant called <laughs> Apocalypse emerges from the sand and sort of returns to wreak havoc on the world, and he collects a bunch of other new and returning mutants onto his team, and the others kind of team up to fight him. Here is a clip of James McAvoy as Professor Charles Xavier in his office meeting Jennifer Lawrence again. She plays Mystique, and they were like childhood chums, and then they grew apart, and they're meeting each other again. It's pretty dramatic. Have a listen. It's good to see you, Raven. Welcome home. This isn't my home. It was once. No, it was your home. I just lived here. I barely even recognize it now. You know, I have plans for this place. I mean to turn it into a real campus. University. 
Not just for mutants either, for humans too. Living and working, growing together. You know, I really believed that once. I really believed we could change them. We did. Just because there's not a war doesn't mean there's peace. You want to teach your kids something, teach them that. Teach them to fight. Otherwise, they might as well live in this house for the rest of their lives. You still sound just like him. You sound just like Eric. That's why I'm here. He's resurfaced. The whole world will be looking for him. You can help me find him before they do. Wow. Wow. You, just, you sound just like him. You sound just like him. Uh, yeah, he's always crying in this film, McAvoy. He's always on the verge of tears with pretty much every... That's how you know he's acting. He feels everything so deeply. He's always connected to humanity with his big mind, isn't he? <laughs> so it's always making him want to cry. Yeah. Yeah, so it had a bit of a patchy reception, this film. Days of Future Past was very well received. Um, and Brian Singer has returned again to direct his fourth X-Men film. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's had a rougher reception, and I thought it was somewhat pantyhose um, what is pantyhose <laughs> total pantyhose yeah a little bit i'm i'm probably a bit warmer on the film um than you are uh so get out <laughs> but we, we, i mean we should establish as children of the 90s we grew up on the x-men animated series it's a big cultural landmark yeah any 90s child that's definitely my touchstone for the x-men characters and then and, and then the movie at the perfect age the good X-Men movies came out. Yeah. So I feel like this is probably the comic book property I have the most attachment to. And one of the reasons is because the central metaphor of mutants representing any oppressed minority is both um, good and like sort of can be quite powerful and also very vague. So it can apply to a lot of things. And it allows the films to explore ideas of prejudice and human nature, but also have people with lasers for eyes. Yeah, yeah. So awesome. And... The most successful X-Men movies are the ones which lean most heavily into this metaphor, specifically X-Men 2 being the pinnacle, probably, of the series. And so it's somewhat counterintuitive to the origins of the stories and just a kind of bad idea unto itself to have the villain as this all-powerful god who wants to destroy the world for some reason. Yeah. He has some kind of powers. It's all a bit... He just sort of do anything and he just... And he can do anything, yeah. and it removes all the nuance and sort of moral ambiguity, in which the, makes the film so interesting. Because um, Magneto and uh, Charles X are kind of famously based on Martin Luther King and um, Malcolm X, and uh, like that's a really interesting dynamic. Dynamic, and but that's like you know when you got a giant purple guy want to explode the world, that kind yeah. of goes out of the window. Yeah, because the whole balance of X Men Two is that you have the forces of prejudice in humanity represented by Colonel Stryker, and then the two opposing um, philosophies for how to deal with um, you know, a stronger force oppressing you, which is, um, you know, sort of through kindness, convince them that you're not a threat or to fight them um, yeah, be the with better violence. Man or, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, it's kind of funny because they are really trying to keep um, that dynamic going between um, Professor X and Magneto in this movie, but it basically amounts to a rehashing of their dialogue from previous films. Yeah. Um, along with an incredibly hackneyed um, sort of straight out of the um, screenwriter's playbook plot development in order to give Magneto some semblance of an arc. I, I love I love that scene. That was the best scene in the movie. Well, the scene <laughs> I didn't I didn't think it was like amazing. Well, Q, but it was you know it was done fine. But I think the whole idea of it is just such a cliche that it's somewhat lame. But yeah. but it's but it's also tangential to the plot of the film really because 
Um, although that dynamic between the two characters is really awesome, I felt like it was reduced to the tropes of their chats, you mm. know, in order to somehow feature it in amongst a story about trying to stop a giant goblin. Yeah, I think in short, I would say it's a movie which is um, bad in conception, but good in its execution. And I think it's um, very well directed by Brian Singer, who obviously knows his way around the material. And it's quite, and it's very confident. And um, even the most uh, functional scenes usually have like a little like visual idea in them. And he ex- fully exploits all the sprawling powers. And it's uh, overstuffed, but it's not, Leadened, I don't think. It's quite light on its feet. Did you think so? Yeah, I feel I like at, the, be- at the beginning it's like, takes. A- but after the sort of Magneto scene, I think it picks up and it kind of kept the winning elements of some of the X-Men movies in that I like the sort of younger mutants and the older mutants. There's like weird nuclear family. Uh, there's like a sort of sequence which is basically like X-Men 2 for like 20 minutes. So I was kind of enjoying that. And... I just, I know, I kind of, I went with low expectations and I thought it was kind of fun. I I found it a bit rote. It felt like he was kind of um, on autopilot a bit to me. There was like the quicksilver bit, which was kind of, obviously that was a really popular bit in Days of Future Past. They kind of did it again and it was kind of charming here, but it felt a bit like a retread. And there's a lot of, there's like too many characters and they are introduced and not, they didn't really do anything with them. And the first 20 minutes or so of the movie is just, each scene is introducing or reintroducing another character who will then go on to do not much. And they have all this stuff um, introducing Cyclops, but he doesn't really get that much to do. And they have a storm comes in and she doesn't do very much in the movie. Angel doesn't do anything. It didn't really have any impact. And I think there was like a tonal issue in the movie. Basically, Apocalypse is a hard villain to do well because he's conceptually boring. And I think that it's true... Uh, what you said about it that it's like you know not it's not an easy idea to make a film around because he's such a one note guy you know he's like all powerful he can do anything his powers are pretty much undefined and his motivations aren't necessarily that clear yeah he doesn't have that much of a character his pop culture references are just no one gets them yeah no one does he's always <laughs> making these jokes about whatever was popular in 10,000 BC um and Oscar Isaac is absolutely doing his best with the role, but he's kind of just doing, like, villainous fest boom voices, like, whispers and... Whispers and, and... You are all my children! You know, and then he shouts a bit. And I was actually really... I was really enjoying his performance because he was really committing to it, and he was doing his best despite a costume which, you know, looks like shit, let's be honest. Like, it looks like pantyhose. It looks like total pantyhose. Uh, it's a poop fest. Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of the issue for me is that maybe there's a bit of fanboy rage in it because, um... Rage is a strong word, but you know the way that fanboys rage. get... Um, rage! Um, Why is this not good? <laughs> but you know in the way that if you're invested in a character, you can get extra angry if it's not executed the yeah, way yeah. You, you feel like is true to it. Um, and, uh, yeah, because I sort of grew up on these cartoons and um, movies and stuff, and you feel like there's so much potential there. And because the this franchise has become so overburdened by the its own confusing threads and stories and stuff the cast is totally different now but they're still trying to make you remember the movie from you know 16 years ago which i find like a very strange thing where they're like and they're also referencing these plot points from the last two movies which i don't really remember to be honest with you and i I, like i'm kind of in a position here of the um the the you know casual like uh viewer going to the marvel movie and being like who's that purple guy just came through the wall you know (laughs) because they didn't see age of ultron and I feel like a bit like this in, in this movie. There's this whole thing about Moira and Charles Xavier, and he's wiped her memories or something. I was like, I don't, you know, I don't really remember. I don't know. I, it felt to me like just a collection of scenes 
you know where everyone was kind of going through the motions a bit which occasionally had things that were like nicely like some nicely executed visual ideas and some actors who were doing what they could with the material but i don't think especially the bigger names are not really inhabiting you know those roles fully for me like fastbender mcavoy and jennifer lawrence are never going to be known for playing these characters and and maybe it's a casting issue but they're all famous for other stuff and they're just in these movies and Mm. so i don't think that they are you know the characters are iconic but they're not that relationship never fully gels because it's always like it's the exact opposite of everybody wants some i guess i think it's very true what jake was saying about that that when you see people who are not um big names it allows you to um connect with them more easily and when you're watching the marvel movies like chris evans you basically know him as captain america and robert Downey jr as iron man even though they have big famous actors for doing other stuff as well uh whereas in these movies it's like um yeah it's just like katniss everdeen from the hunger games and it's but sometimes she's blue you know <laughs> so emotionally i don't the film had like absolutely zero impact and the plot is somewhat trite and the villain is really bad uh but it kept me sort of entertained for you know the time i went with low expectations and i uh i kind of had a fun time i think the they make use of the uh sprawling powers in a in a fun way which makes it there's always stuff going on i feel like you know that th- there's a better crop of characters like in the marvel they're just punchy runny men in this one they're like they can fly and teleport and shoot lasers and shit and it's like awesome <sighs> i don't know I wasn't very impressed. It's a masterpiece. It's the best one I've seen. <laughs> it's my favourite film of all time. And, um... Get out. Get out. I'll, I'll get out of your own room. Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! It's a poop fest. It's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's not a great film. But I liked it. I, I enjoyed it. I, I can't really fault any of your criticisms. But I can just say I kind of got on board with the movie a bit more, I feel. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now let's drink this beer and eat these M&Ms. Eat these M&Ms. And... Call it a day. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton. She was up with her dog and we got talking. I asked her what she does when she isn't acting. She said she likes podcasts for relaxing. Imelda, when you're in the mood, what do you listen to? Guys, another reminder, keep June the 15th free. Yes, please, please. You must keep it free, for we are doing the third in our mostly ungoogleable film chat quiz. Yes, this one's going to be even more ungoogleable than the previous ones but the one thing you'll be able to google is the quiz itself <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's gonna be at the social uh, just off uh oscar circus there's gonna be a facebook event coming your way i know we said that last week but now it's literally it's come it's already well, there I've, it's I've there sp- yeah i've spent the last week just working on the facebook event it's only gonna be basically a paragraph or so of text but i've been refining it and honing it to perfection and uh, the film quiz, if you've not been before, we try and think of fun rounds where even if you don't know the answer, it'll be entertaining. For example, one of the rounds is uh, actors' bands or actors who have decided to sing. For example, do you know who's singing now? Wise man sing. 
If you answered Jackie Chan, then you could have won last time. Yeah, I would have lost that particular one because I really think he does. He doesn't sound like himself. I think you can tell he's not an English speaker, though. Yeah. Only fools rush in. There's a slight accent there. I think so, but he still convincingly, you know, departs from his regular um, kind of tone of voice (laughs) (laughs) to do that. It's a very good job. Yeah, we also um, have a round... Uh, in which you play the theme from a movie, and I sing over the top the plot of a different movie, and you have to identify them both at once. Um, here's an example of how that will work. I'm a silly king with an evil advisor. She ticked me off, I decided to fire her. She took revenge, she put poison in my drink. It had side effects, I think that to her word unknown. A llama, she turned me into a llama. Now with a friendly farmer, I must recover my throne. So you may have recognised there the Imperial March from Star Wars, first featured in Empire Strikes Back, and the plot of the Disney classic, The Emperor's New Groove, which I have not actually seen myself. I mean... But I'm aware of that. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't be able to Google that. I mean, I actually used Shazam for one of it, and then just... I mean, you could Google it eventually. Well, it's not called the Unshazamable film quiz. It's true. You know, that's a a different quiz. That's a whole other kettle of fish. That's one of our competitors. It is not Unshazamable. Um, but it is un- but it is on google mostly yeah mostly that is the tagline so join us there listeners it's going to be a ton of fun and i apologize that we hadn't prepared anything more elaborate for this final segment except for advertising ourselves and well, maybe you can just improvise something now i got nothing see you next week <laughs> <laughs> um yeah see you next week guys and remember keep on using that shampoo from the Fulham Scalp and Hair Clinic. It's getting better every week as they tweak the formula, and our hair is looking great. Okay. <laughs> That's the most half-assed advert ever. See you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.